This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome board folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we have another terribly interesting guest. I am so lucky to be a guy that gets to talk to these people. It's just amazing. We got them, we got them lined up because of the fact that we have had so many good individuals, interesting individuals that we've spoken to who are connected with other colleagues and partners. And one of the folks we just finished on uh, Core Brain Journal 292 with Marie Rickard Hong. She was just published uh, this week. And her colleague, who's a co-author of the book, on the book that she wrote on Brain Under Attack, which is a resource guide for pans and pandas, is Dr. Roseanne Kapana Hodge. And you know what? Before we even started, did I pronounce that correctly? I should have checked. You did an awesome job. Okay. Well, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm relieved. I should have asked you about that. I apologize. But anyway, she's up there in Connecticut with Maria. And we're going to talk about some of the same things from a slightly different perspective because Roseanne's information, Roseanne's clinical experience is somewhat different. She brings another dimension to the whole discussion. And you know these situations are so complex with these kids and adults that have these brain-on-fire problems, brain-under-attack problems. We're going to learn more about it. So thank you so much for coming on, Roseanne. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited, like I told you earlier, but nobody else got to hear it. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited to be on it because Core Brain Journal is my favorite podcast. So thanks for oh, having no, me. You're so sweet. I'm going to let people know who you actually are. So Roseanne Kapanahaj is the founder and director of Dr. Roseanne and Associates and the originator of the 360-degree reboot intensive therapies program. Her center is known for offering expert-level integrative mental health support, and she has more than 25 years of working with children, teens, adults, and parents. She answered her calling to become a psychologist and currently has integrative centers in Ridgefield and Newtown, Connecticut, where the focus is on providing clinically valid holistic therapies such as, and we're going to talk about this, folks, neurofeedback, biofeedback, counseling and assessment for a variety of issues and conditions after she sees individuals and families suffer through unsuccessful attempts at traditional therapies dr roseanne became passionate and what she does she uses highly effective research-based clinical therapies i want to underline that with a couple explanation points because some people think this is woo but we're talking research-based clinical therapies to alleviate stress and suffering, bringing children and adults to a point of improved wellness. Dr. Roseanne is a well-respected BCN practitioner who is popular and sought-after speaker and author, a co-author of Brain Under Attack, as I mentioned a moment ago, this resource guide for PANS and PANDAS. She is an expert in several areas, including anxiety, anxiety-related disorders, ADHD, autism, executive function, one of my favorite terms, Mm -hmm. dyslexia and other reading disabilities, learning disabilities. Now, here we go. She's in Connecticut, Lyme disease and concussion, post-concussion syndrome. This is why she is going to be up there with Maria on our veterans page, another group of people that we think are just not being taken care of properly. 
So she's very strong on pediatric mental health, and she helps parents understand all of the complexity of these things. We got our hands full. So I'm going to just say one other quick thing. Her center provides expert level integration care that goes beyond the surface of the symptoms and the issues that are presented around them. And, and the people can get a deep understanding of the root causes and then get some support in rectifying them in a bio individual manner. This is not a cookie cutter situation. So thanks again, Roseanne, for coming on board. So we talked very slightly there about how you became interested. We didn't really get down to the details. So how did you make the big turn from being a clinical psychologist to, oh my gosh, let's get into this whole biomedical brain body thing going on as well? Yeah. So I have always personally been holistic. I always joke with people that I am the daughter of Italian immigrants and, you know, food was health. So that was just not an option for me. And I have been eating organic food for 25 years. And so it's just part of, you know, who I am. But how did I get involved with really complex mental health cases with children is just that when I started practicing, I am just somebody who really is all in when I'm helping people. And I just immediately within the first year of doing private practice course work was known for taking complex cases. So what happens, Charles, is you already know the answer to this. When you start taking complex cases, which now 27 years later, all my cases are complex because kids <laughs> have a lot more medical issues, you realize that medication is often not only not the answer, but harmful to the children, meaning that there are a lot of adverse reactions. And so for the people that are listening, whether it's adults or kids, we realize that almost every medication has adverse reactions. And for things like ADD meds, 97% of people experience an adverse reaction. Uh, The top three is food restricting, irritability, and sleep problems. So there's going to always be an impact. So as I was working with kids, you quickly had to learn what else could you do to support. So food, nutrition always was part, supplements. I've always partnered with naturopaths, but you know, certainly feel comfortable recommending things like vitamin D, magnesium, fish oils, things that really support the brain and body to work better. But about 22 years ago, I had my first chronic Lyme patient. And they were, I was working in a school and they were diagnosed with chronic Lyme. And I thought, what is this thing called chronic Lyme? And he left an imprint on me and opened my door to what are symptoms, executive functioning difficulties, chronic anxiety, you know, physical issues like pain and sweating and whatnot. And that they weren't stagnant, that they were variable and that One time I would see him, he would be okay. And another time I would see him, he would be incredibly anxious, afraid of, had sensory sensitivities. So that just sort of opened the door. And as we all do in this clinical world, you can't close your eyes to when you see something. Well, you know, or at least I don't. Right. You can't. If you want to get it right, you can't close your eyes. No. So over time, I just started to see more and more cases. And so I remember one time I was testing a young man. His mom was a medical professional. And when you're doing psychoed neuropsych testing, you test over a series of days. So I got to see him on different days and times. And each time he came to see me, he was very different. And he was 15. So on the second time, I said to his mom, and I'm super easily, I really enjoy people. And I like to connect with people. And so I said to his mom, really straight, is he on drugs? 
And she was like, absolutely not. I hair test him. So, you know, you can see drug usage over time. And then maybe two sessions later, I was doing six or seven sessions with him. He came in and it was like he had schizophrenia and I wasn't sure what was going on. I wasn't sure if it was multiple personality disorder, but all of a sudden I started to think about his history. What was different in his history? He had a lot of weird medical things. He also didn't have regular bowel movements, which I know is a popular topic of conversation. Long distance high five, girl. (laughs) (laughs) And when he would go, so sometimes he would go, most of the time he would only go once a week. And every time he went, he would actually clog the toilet. Yeah. We so call I that said, delivering the monolithic stool. <laughs> <laughs> so what's important about that is you're not detoxifying. I mean, there's, right. there's a lot of things that it's affecting the brain and body. So anyway, long story short, she went and got him tested. And I said, you really need to think about Lyme disease, you know? And that's sure enough what it was. It was substantiated and he had multiple infections and he had Bartonella, which is known to cause a lot of psychiatric problems. He had classic signs like uh, Bartonella will leave striations, like stretch marks on you. Every mental health professional should be checking people in every state, but certainly in our endemic areas like Connecticut. So there's 14 states in Connecticut where Lyme is at an epidemic level, they call it endemic, and it's on every continent except Antarctica. So there isn't a place, a country that's in not, you doesn't have tick-borne illness. So it's really important to know some of those signs. So that's how I got involved in that complex medical piece. I've always worked with kids with autism. I've always been part of a team where somebody who's looking to reverse the signs of autism. Yes, Mm -hmm. I said reverse. I've always been part of that team and you have to do foundational work, right? So, you know, the foundation for healing for everything is the same. It's sleep, right? Because you detoxify in your sleep. It's great nutrition. It's looking at nutrient deficiencies through blood work and supplementing them. It's looking at your genetic problems and it's stress management. So I help with all those things, but obviously my clinical therapies that we use in our clinic addresses that stress component so that the nervous system can work properly and the body and brain can heal. I wish there was a one answer for things, but that's my own. And my own personal level, I have a 13-year-old who has chronic Lyme. It's tough Mm. to live in this area. And if you set foot on grass, not even in the woods, if you're living in the Northeast, we have... Lyme disease in Canada. It's all the way in Ontario. I mean, it's just, it's that way. Um, You know, it's a really quite an epidemic and it causes a lot. And don't get me started on the viruses too. Lyme disease and viruses can really wreak havoc for people. Well, and we said, we didn't quite say it, but we were about to get into it because we were having such an interesting conversation before we got started. But then the compromised immune system sets the stage for all of that. And what you were saying was, hey, you know, Parker, what we do is we really look at everything we can biomedically that's contributing to this brain deterioration, which looks on the surface, ah, unexplained, it may be capricious in its presentation, coming and going. There are a lot of different characteristics to it. It's not something you just put your finger on saying, boom, there it is. And it certainly is far more than a personality disorder. For sure, for sure. And that's the hard part with, you know, infectious disease. So in this book, Rain Under Attack, that I 
co-wrote with my friends at Epidemic Answers, lovely ladies, Maria Reichert-Hong, who you had, and Beth Lambert, and Jennifer Gorester-Kozak, and Lauren Lee Stone were on the board. And Epidemic Answers, great website, is all about committed to children's physical and mental health. And there's great research, great information. People are often drawn to it for that. And if you can even utilize it as a resource for that, it's a great way to enrich yourself and help to your child's healing journey. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about mental health in my field, people are so just not open to the idea that yeah. there's a physical problem that's driving yeah. a mental health problem. Yeah. And I do something called QEG brain mapping, which is part of neurofeedback. And I'll talk a little bit about that. You know, since I've been doing that, it's, it, it's a way to get a visual representation of the formation of brain waves. And it's an amazing diagnostic tool. It's very, very on point for things like ADD and autism. But what was happening is, you know, I'm doing these brain maps and they show incredible amounts of brain inflammation. Of what? Brain, brain, brain inflammation. Brain inflammation. So, Key point. Right. Yep. Yeah. Please, when you get there, tell us about that because yeah. I have had all kinds of different people talk about QEG. This is the first yeah. time I've heard somebody say you can see inflammation mm -hmm. with a QEG. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I hope girl. we get back and cover that a little bit. That'd be good. Yes. Okay. No, I'm happy to talk about that. So I'm the one pushing the envelope for that in our field. And this is sort of the world of neurofeedback. There's not necessarily a ton of us that are doing it, but it's sort of in neurofeedback. That is my area of expertise. But what was happening is I was doing these QEGs and I interpret my own QEGs, which is not common. Most people use a service. So that's part of what was happening in the field is that you're using a service and the people didn't see autoimmune encephalopathy as a source of inflammation. Now I see it in the reports. So when you have inflammation in the brain, you often see it what's called, you have different brain waves. We all have different brain waves and they're all important. No one brain wave is bad, but certainly what you're looking is for distribution and you're looking for healthy rhythms in the brain. And when the brain has an unhealthy rhythm, which basically Everybody who comes into my office that has a disorder of the central nervous system, ADHD, anxiety, depression, pans, pandas, you're going to see dysregulated brain functioning in their brain waves. So when somebody has excessive inflammation, what you see is a very high amounts of delta, sometimes more than two standard deviations outside the norm. Mm. So in the clinical, right, and sometimes kids with autism will have every single brainwave outside the norm to more than two standard deviations outside the norm. That's the mm. level of inflammation that somebody with mm, autism will have. Mm -hmm. And there's so many factors in that with autism. It, there can be, often is infectious disease. There's a belief that about 35% of kids with autism also have PANS. So there's a lot of crossover in all these disorders. So with a QEG, when you see a lot of inflammation, really as a clinician, your job is to do a good clinical intake and find out, is the celiac? Has there been a head injury? What would be other common things? But what's happening is people are getting infectious disease. So it could be viruses, things like Coxsackie or herpes 6. Epstein-Barr is as damaging to the brain and body as tick-borne disease can be. And so when you have you do a rule out, really you should do lab work to look at what's the panel. Not every virus can be seen 
but many of them can. Epstein-Barr, you can do titers to see if it's at a subclinical level, which would mean you'd have more of a active case, a chronic case of Epstein-Barr. And certainly with Lyme disease, we don't have perfect testing, but what we do have is there are some private labs that do a pretty good job of detecting bacteria. The problem is not that the testing is faulty. This is a real problem in understanding how Lyme disease is diagnosed is that many times the bacteria in the system take years to show up actually in blood work. And before that, it will be indeterminate. And people think indeterminate means it's not there. All Mm -hmm. it means is that it's not a detectable enough level, Mm -hmm. but it's probably there. So there's a lot of complexities. But the QEG guides For me, it guides all of my treatment decisions. It's a really, really helpful tool. But before then, you know, you would just do clinical intakes and you would say, okay, you had mono and that was two and a half years ago. And ever since then, you've been depressed and anxious. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. Something (laughs) is there. (laughs) Something is there. You know, I let me think about this. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of crazy that people are just so opposed to this. And I'm sure you've pushed up against traditional allopathic physicians. And I'd like to think they're well-meaning. I'm not really sure what happens. I think that what you have to do as a clinician is you've got to stay on top of information. And people always ask me, I had somebody come and basically interviewed me the other day to treat their child. And I was like, come on in. I talk to me. I I know lots of research. And they asked me how often I train. And I said, I actually do some level of training every day. And and they wanted to know how. And I said, well, sometimes it's peer to peer. And sometimes I listen to podcasts and I read journals and I, you just have to spend time. It's part of the commitment of what you're doing. And this is, this field is changing all the time when you're doing biomedical. We're just getting lots of great information. There's also old research. (laughs) I always crack up when, you know, I remember this mom told me this story that her pediatrician had said to her that um, nutrition had nothing to do with how the brain functioned. So I said to her, did you check in with yourself? Did that seem like that was a valid, you know, statement? And she said, heck no, I was out of there. Of course, what you eat has an effect on your brain. It's such a silly thing that it's considered alternative medicine. So yeah, well, I think the human condition, just a quick comment on that. I think the human condition is that from, uh, you know, we have this reptilian brain and we've talked a number of times about it with different people, but it's sort of fight or flight on even small things. And so we think reductionistically because the complexity is overwhelming. So we've got to find a box to put it in and then we can avoid it or dance around it and somehow and that is going on pervasively in mind science. It is the main problem in the study of human mental functioning, without a doubt, because the whole thing of you know, just the diagnostic coding system, I'll shut up in just a second. I get a little excited about this no, point. No, no, go ahead. I'm the diagnostic coding it. system is, is a house of cards. It's basically a fashion show. And yeah. so what happens is, People, they're going to, it's like going to whatever they do in Paris. The girl's coming down. I like that dress. I don't like that dress. It's a little too red for me, I think, you know. And what happens is the whole, it's so antique. I mean, we're 20 years behind what's actually going on in neuroscience. Sorry, I just had to say that. No, you are so on the money, Charles, because we're the only 
like profession, mental health, where nobody checks under the hood and yeah. we're not yeah. using lab work. Why are we not using QEGs? I mean, yeah. people come in here all the time and say, oh, I have ADD and I run their, their Q. And I'm like, no, you don't. You had a concussion. And they're like, yeah, but they told me I was fine. And I was like, you fell out of a window. <laughs> <laughs> it was three floors. <laughs> it took three days to come back. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, oh, I played sports all the time. I never had, I didn't pass out when I got knocked over. And I'm like, yeah, right. you have to get knocked out. You know, so these kind of things are just like astounding to me that people don't make these kind of connections. I mean, I get so many worried parents and you know I feel so privileged and blessed to be able to do what I do because I can help people heal in such a healthy natural way and it's just a commitment right sometimes mm -hmm. it's a lifestyle change and you know all my folks who have pans pandas line all types of infectious disease I'm like hey guess what you got to give up wheat and you got to give up dairy those mm -hmm. are inflammatory agents and you should run a food panel and find out what else causes inflammation yeah. and I tell them we're doing it at our house so if we're doing it at our house the yeah. Hodge household can do it you can do it yeah. um, it's certainly gotten a lot more easier in the last few years to get products but these poor parents they're so worried I've had most of my clients some get to me pretty quick by word of mouth right it's a great part about social media there's all these groups and people find you know there's a pans pandas group and um, in different regions there's a national one and people will pop on and ask for advice so they can, but that's not the majority of people that I'm getting. I mean, the mm -hmm. average person with Lyme disease sees five to seven people before a single diagnosis. I mean, that's just unacceptable, right? It and is. It's totally, it it's is. unbelievable. It is. And then, you know, to think about PANS, PANDAS, right? So we think about it, it is pediatric as part of the name, but we're now expanding it and we're saying that it's not just kids, it's really adults. That's true. That's true. And there just has to be a point of accelerated symptoms, right? So symptoms can range from OCD to aggression to neurocognitive things like executive functioning, ADD, memory. And what is really important besides that it can happen later in life is also that you can have a pre-existing condition. So people don't think about that. So you could have low levels of anxiety and then get the flu and then get bitten by a tick. Sometimes there's multiple agitators, right? And most people who have pans and pandas don't just have one bacteria or one virus. They love to co-mingle and cause all kinds of disruption in the brain. Then what happens is there's a sudden acceleration. There's a dramatic increase. It might go from anxiety to anxiety that debilitates you when you can't leave your house or social anxiety or OCD or food restricting or depression. It might move into some other way, but it's really treatment resistant, it's often considered at a certain point where people are seeking multiple ways of treatment. So there can be a waxing and waning, there can be soft signs. And I think that's so important. And that's one of my big messages because people don't know what this is and they might miss it based on what they're presenting to even their pediatricians. I mean, people are getting more open at this point. Go ahead, Charles, you had something. Well, let's say, yeah, let's, let's hold that point because I think it's a really important point. And people say, well, what are soft signs? And I mean, soft signs vary, but I think the one thing that I would like to raise right there is the issue of this whole pandemic problem of fashion show diagnoses, because a person, I think one of the things that occurred to me while you were talking was just take the concept of PTSD. A person yeah. can have a pre-existing condition 
and then be exposed to some kind of a traumatic thing compared to another person. And the very quick thing, because you can see it, oh, it's PTSD. And the brain is frozen on, I see it, now I believe it. All these other things that are really um, ascertained, evaluated through laboratory, you've, you've probably mentioned laboratory, no disrespect, 10 times in the short period of time we've been talking, because it's totally reasonable that you'd have to go in. If you're going to do a scientific inquiry, you're going to get something that is measurable. That's what my friends right. don't, you may not know what a QEEG is, my friends, but it's a specific EEG measurement tool where you put these leads on the brain and you read what's actually going on with the electricity of the brain. Yes, the electricity comes out through the brain, out through the skin, into the leads, and you can actually see brain activity right in front of your face. And what's happening is, you know, Roseanne's talking about Q. That's the buzzword for QEG. You can actually see what's going on on the electricity of the brain. Why wouldn't we take a look at that and in a way, if you, I'll be interested to hear what you think about this. It's kind of a macro thing. Now, I was really pleased to hear how she could say, no, it's much more specific than that. And I was really getting educated with all of you out there that she's saying, no, these things have very specific meanings. It's just because I'm not familiar with right. how to read the cue. But I think it's really interesting because then you can take the whole molecular thing, which we get into in other Core Brain Journal episodes methylation with Dr. Walsh, whoever thought that methylation would be important. But if you really listen to anybody out there right now talking about biological activity of the brain that could be um, unbalanced in some way, methylation is measurable. You can measure it with whole blood histamine of all things, and you can see what's going on. And those things that are pre-existing cause medications, interventions to not work. And they can actually create, I haven't seen any studies on this, but I'm quite sure it's true, QEEG changes. So you have oh, QEEG change with a methylation underlying problem. And you could do the QEEG thing, which I want to talk about that in just a moment, but you do have to get the underlying methylation thing taken care of as well, or you miss the boat. Yeah. And you know, and absolutely. So when I'm looking at a QEEG, and thank you for explaining it at a deeper level. But when you're looking at it, you can see certain patterns. I, I do so many of these and we're just a really busy place. And you can see when there's nutrient deficiencies. Sometimes you can tell when it's specific, like vitamin D. I feel like I've gotten that one. Is down. that right? That's so yeah. interesting. Because what's happening is, again, I'm doing a high level of them. We're substantiating it with lab work because I send people out to a naturopath and integrated physician. Yeah. And again, this is anecdotal, but it does interfere with certain functions in the brain. So when you're measuring it and you're repeatedly measuring, you're doing pre and post, we do pre and post with treatment. Sometimes clients also just do nutrition therapy and then follow up with a second cue. They're not doing neurofeedback or biofeedback or PMF, all things we do here. So it's really an amazing tool to be able to see exactly what's going on. It's never gotten mainstream for a couple reasons. One, QEGs in themselves are not covered by insurance. There's some research being being done and they it will very likely be covered by insurance in the next five years. But two, it's associated with neurofeedback and not to sound like a whole conspiracy theorist, but big pharma <laughs> <laughs> doesn't want neurofeedback. I mean, neurofeedback produces lasting changes in the brain. Okay, why why a, would they want that? <laughs> you so, know, it's like, you know, you say neurofeedback, it's like yes. a, a, a smoke, a pall comes in over the heather. You know, it's yes. like something 
something entered from the mists of reality and we're not we're now we're in a dream world that's not real it's like we're entered a dream when when really it's absolutely directly related to underlying issues it's just amazing yeah. and neurofeedback you know tens of thousands of research studies more than 3000 peer reviewed studies so a higher level your peers are looking at it substantiating this research it's effective from a to z conditions there's just so many things because now we're, it supports the, the regulation in the nervous system and so many disorders are about a dysregulated nervous system. So it's a process of measurement and reinforcement through the use of computers. Nothing comes through the wire. And after a QEG, some people don't use cues. And, and I'm as open as open to any type of neurofeedback and biofeedback. The brain has a lot of neuroplasticity, has flexibility, wants to learn, and it can be trained in a variety of ways. So anybody who tells you that their neurofeedback is the only one that works doesn't know what they're talking about. Really? I use multiple kinds of neurofeedback depending on somebody's pattern in their brain. And I know through clinical experience, neurofeedback is mostly dependent on the clinician and their clinical experience, not anything else, not the equipment. So the neurofeedback has been sort of relegated into this alternative world. I mean, it just is a beautiful therapy that's highly effective for so many things like ADD. And here, you know, we just had like a couple months, not even a couple weeks ago, they just had like the top 10 list of doctors in Connecticut who were getting money from big pharma or medical companies for products. And so, you know, somebody in Greenwich got a million dollars this year, you know, from big pharma. And I'm like, what? You know, this is what's going on. This is, you know, what is happening. So there's a lot of monetary benefit. But neurofeedback never got mainstream right from the get-go. 1973, they were doing research with Vietnam vets who had PTSD and substance abuse and they do the same protocol today. It's 10 days, twice a day, and you'll get between 70 and 100% reduction in drug craving, okay? It's amazing. Older business, right? And by day five, they kick them out of the hospital because all hospitals are funded by big pharma unless you're a private hospital. People don't realize that. And a third of all hospital admissions are for medication reactions. So <laughs> well, and I, I think the problem with that, and I want to make sure we talk about it. I'm sorry to interrupt you because it's so yeah. exciting to hear you talk. But from a political point of view, as soon as you get over into things that are not explained in contemporary traditional medicine, actually things that are chronic, generally speaking, things that are chronic are perceived as misunderstood and not fully understood. So then you have the entire medical staff is saying, in this whole thing, we just can't deal with it here because we can't deal with the politics because they don't know how to explain it. Now, that's why I'm going to ask you this next question. Sure. Because uh, I'm just going to name drop a little bit on you. You may know Siegfried Ottmer. Do you know Siegfried Ottmer? Oh, what a lovely human being. Of course I know the him. Guy, the guy's a total thought leader. I was a privilege yeah. to meet him when I was working with Eamon up in in D.C., and uh, yeah. they came into a meeting in D.C., and he and his son, Kurt, were at the meeting, and first of all, I love his name. <laughs> yeah, he's a wonderful man, he and Secretly, his wife. Oh, he's wonderful. such a deep guy. We wound yeah. up going to dinner on another evening, and it was transformational. He was very kind to introduce me to some of the real founders of neurofeedback in the country mm-hmm. that had come into Washington. So he's out there in Woodland Hills, California, and, and I would love to have him on. But let's talk a little bit about neurofeedback and what it is, just for a second, because there are a lot of people that have 
neurofeedback, as soon as you say it, it's like the flu or something. It just right. doesn't make any sense. So yeah. let's talk about it. So I want to just break it down and make it really simple. It is brainwave retraining. And so we have these pattern of brainwaves. Some are healthy, some are not. But if you have a clinical condition, or sometimes people use it for just peak performance, a lot of the athletes use it, a lot of high-level athletes, Olympians, baseball players in particular, will use it. So it's a process where you come in, you're measured in some way, sometimes it's through QEG, and sometimes it's just collecting data at different points with a sensor, which is fine either way. And you determine, oh, look, you have an imbalance in this. So for example, ADHD, really easy to see in a brain map, okay? So they'll have too many slow brain waves, not enough fast brain waves. So slow, sluggish, fast, the gas, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you re you you have somebody sit in front of a computer and they're going to receive reinforcement. I'll explain what it is when they produce the right combination. So decreasing the slow brain waves, increasing the fast. When they do that, which will happen within two to three seconds of the first time you're hooked up, you're going to get reinforcement. So <clears throat> most people use movies in our clinic because we have lots of kids about 65 percent kids you know 25 and under you'll watch a movie and the movie won't play unless you produce the right combination of brain waves you'll get other auditory and visual reinforcement so neural feedback is not an immediate thing it requires a number of sessions usually 20 or more depending on your clinical condition certainly not less than that for most people and you're going to come in and we're going to basically change your homeostasis we're going to change your set point so your brain wants to be in an unhealthy rhythm. And every time you come in, you're essentially working out for 30 or so minutes and you're learning to produce a healthy rhythm. It's a learned therapy. Brain okay. exercise. It's a brain, brain exercise. exercise. But we, it's like building happens. muscle. Exactly. And when you're get, doing neurofeedback, you're actually having new electrical activity, both at the site you're training and then diffusely, depending on each person. And it's lasting. The research says, you know, there's research at the six month, three year and 10 year mark, and actually one year as well. And the changes sustain. In fact, many people improve even further after discontinuing. It's a lovely, lovely therapy. There's very minimum, no research shows any long-term side effects. And I use neurofeedback with everything from ADHD, depression, but I do use neurofeedback, biofeedback, which is learning how to control your autonomic function. So breathing, heart rate, there's a great sensor tool that you can use called heart math and it gets your heart rate and your breath to sink and you feel calmer and sleep improves. And I use PMF, um, a specific kind called PMF, spell PMF. that out. Pulse electromagnetic frequency training. So you okay. use pulsed electromagnetic frequency and it helps to regulate the nervous system. But I use it in combination with biofeedback. And I use that for a lot of my people with chronic illnesses. So almost everybody who has PANS, Lyme disease, any kind of autoimmune, I do Crohn's, I have MS. Uh, there's an overlap between MS and Lyme disease. And I will treat them with the PMF often first and then go in and get that nervous system regulated and getting, there's a lot of detoxification. There's lots of good things I could go on and on. And then I'll go in and direct, do direct brainwave retraining to, uh, let's say somebody has Lyme disease and they have brain fog, which is a very common issue or word retrieval. You can work right in that area of the brain, those areas for somebody who has those clinical 
conditions and help to restore function. It's pretty cool. Certainly, if you have PANS, PANDAS, Lyme disease, any kind of physical problem, you want to get yourself to a specialist in that area. Depending on each state, certain naturopathic physicians can be licensed in some states. There's functional medicine doctors, and they tend to take a whole approach and can treat a variety of conditions. And they'll do lab work to look at what nutrients you're missing, or if there's you have food sensitivities, things that are irritants and deficiencies to get you back online. And also, do you need treatment? Do you need antimicrobial treatment? Do you need antivirals? Is it going to be supplements? Is it going to be antibiotics? And those are all bio-individual decisions. There's no right way. There's no cure for any of these conditions. We just have treatments that work better, and they certainly look work better when you do the foundational healing approach where you're considering those foundational pieces in your lifestyle, which is not easy. Well, I'm just going to say one little more thing and you're going to, please feel free to correct me because when you were talking, I'm still thinking about the innocents out there who are still saying, yeah, what is it? And I've I've done some neurofeedback myself. And so I want Roseanne to correct me if I'm wrong, but basically what happens is you put the You don't have to put needles into your brain or your skin. You just put something on the surface of your skin that reads like an electroencephalogram, and it runs those electrical charges down. This is where the technology is so terribly interesting. It runs it down through the machine. Nothing comes through the wire. Oh, it doesn't? Okay. No, the machine is measuring, and your subconscious, which is in charge 90 to 95% of the time, recognizes at that subconscious level that if it changes its own brainwave activity, that it will get this reinforcement. So just like building a muscle at the gym, right? You work it and it builds. It's the same way. So nothing comes through the wire with neurofeedback. Well, how does it happen then? This is good. Okay. So clarify this point. Sure. So if I'm looking at a computer and my head's hooked up and I think I want to do something on that computer. And by thinking I can change the computer, yeah. so, so that actually, would be what happens. You're not even really thinking, Charles. It's your subconscious that's taken over. So um, it's that deep kind of guttural processing that it's at that subconscious level. So you cannot believe in it. You cannot want to be there. And it's still going to happen as long as you have your eyes open and you're paying attention. So that's really important. So when you're there, your brain gets this reinforcement for changing itself. And it sounds so silly, but it wants this movie to play. It wants the dinging. It wants the points. There's multiple reinforcements that are very stimulating for the brain. The brain has new electrical activity, which feels good at that subconscious level and reinforces the brain continually to produce the healthy combination of brain waves. And so over time, because homeostasis, right? So homeostasis is our set point. I always talk about it as, you know, your weight, your weight is always kind of around the same point. It's the same thing with the brain. So if it's functioning at a really dysfunctional level, that's its set point. But as we move it away through the process of neurofeedback, which is measurement and reinforcement, and it gets the stimulation of new electrical activity, we change the set point and then we help it function more regularly at a normal, healthy way. And there's just that natural reinforcement that it feels good. The clinical symptoms reduce. And again, it stays over time. So that's really interesting because I thought, you know, actually I'm now disillusioned because I thought it was actually in control. Yeah, no. 
<laughs> no, I wasn't in control, doggone it. No, but, your subconscious anyway. is in control. <laughs> but it's it's terribly interesting. I'm I'm looking at time and I'm thinking about yeah. this because I, I want you to also break down. That's a quick and good improved elaboration on what happens with the neurofeedback. Let's talk a little more specifically, if you will, about technique that you do for biofeedback so a person can understand what that process is and not be so surprised if they go into it. Yeah, so biofeedback and neurofeedback are different, right? They're cousins. So biofeedback started first many, many years ago, like 100 years ago. But biofeedback is conscious control. We teach you to conscientiously control a function. Typically, it would be your muscle control, your body temperature, and your heart rate. And why would you control those things? So for example, muscle control. Many people have chronic headaches. Uh, related to how they're holding their neck or their shoulder. It could be from an injury, could be from repeated patterns, sitting a certain way. It could be a lot of things, it could be stress. And so we teach you over process of sessions through the use of computers, you're able to get reinforcement about relaxing the muscle and it's working through that. What we do a lot of with all ages is something called heart rate variability training, which I mentioned. And it's HeartMath makes a lovely product that you can buy on Amazon and you, you get a sensor and it works with Android and iPhone technology or Apple technology, I should say. And what it does is it uses an app to show you how to sync your breath with your heart rate. And when that sync happens, the heart rate variability you just, it's a calmer feeling. The nervous system calms down. And in the case of anything, but particularly with pans and pandas or anytime you have a disease in your body, your nervous system can't work properly because you're constantly in an overactivation mode. Hyperconnectivity is typically what happens in the brain. So that heart rate variability training gets that nervous system to practice calming down and helps to support the nervous system in general and the physical systems in healing themselves. It's really, really important. And even traditional physicians are really acknowledging that mental health is as important in terms of healing anything as it is physical health. And you have to get your nervous system regulated. And there's a million reasons why in 2019, people's nervous systems are not regulated from EMFs to what we're putting in our mouths and just a culture of accepted high-level stress in America. So it's important to use these tools like biofeedback. And I have executives using them, kids, like I said, moms. It really can be very helpful. And it's affordable. It's $159 so people can go out and get them. So they can get themselves squared away for going into that important meeting without taking Valium. And without exactly. throwing a bunch of benzos down and mm-hmm. and kicking it. Now, let me ask you another question because sure. I haven't had a chance to talk to somebody as skilled as you are at this particular. So what happens to an individual like sometimes we see, doesn't happen often, but it does happen from time to time, that a person might have a physical reaction to a psych drug. One that comes to mind would be a sweating with like Effexor. Just take Effexor as a quick one. I mean something that has a uh, serotonin norepinephrine combo. Mm-hmm. And they would then feel better emotionally because they would collect their serotonin molecules a little bit better with the medications actually helping by reuptake inhibition at the synapse. But what happens, Ken, 
a person actually help with some of those side effects if they like the medication, but they don't know what to do with the side effects? Does that whole biomedical intervention, biofeedback, can that be done to calm down those armpits? You know, that's a great question because most of the people that I'm seeing or treating walking in my door. So half the people are coming here to completely avoid medication and the other half are having side effects and want to come off. I've never had somebody have as mild as sweating, but I don't want to say it's mild because it could be profuse. What happens with neurofeedback in particular is the brain regulates so well that most people have to either reduce their dosage of medication or come off. That's that is all the brain works. And also too, I get most of my people will go to a naturopathic physician or somebody in their area. I work with people from other states. They fly in and they do our intensive therapies program. So not every state has the same kind of functional care. But you're able to look at what some of those nutrients are, particularly MTHFR, um, nutrients, um, genetic mutations that impact the B vitamins and those kind of things be game changers and supporting the efficacy of not just the medication, but just getting the brain and body to work better. But could you learn to control your sweating with biofeedback? You probably could reduce it. If it's a bona fide side effect from the medication, it's probably not going to go away. If it was totally stress related, done. We yeah, do couldn't do it. Yeah, I got you. Well, listen, I'm, I hate to cut yeah. this conversation off because, sure. you know, in a way, we have just scratched the surface of so many interesting conversations. But I'm yes. looking at the time and we really do have to wind up. And I want to make sure as we wind up what we're going to do in the future, basically how people can get a hold of you would be the, the key issue. I see that you and I will have other things we can talk about down the road. But for right at this moment, as we're winding up this program, Let's drop how people can get a hold of you. It's going to be on the show notes for sure. I don't know what the exact episode number is going to be, friends, but we're going to have it on there. But we'll have all the connections there. But in case you're wondering where Roseanne is and a way to connect with her, please, Roseanne, if you tell us a little bit, appreciate it. Sure. I mean, the best way to get a hold of me is probably through my website, which is www.drroseanne.com. So that's D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N.com. You also can find me on Facebook and follow. I try to really put out good information, try to put out some research, and I do a lot of blogging there as well. If people want to get a hold of me through those means that's probably the best way. I'm on Twitter and all that fun stuff too. But Well, and folks, you need to know that one of the key things we talked about before we even started this conversation with Roseanne is the fact that we're going to have plenty of references right there on the show notes because one of the things we've tried to do for the three years that we've been working in Core Brain Journal is to make sure that these references that people make are, are there and they're documented. And, and this is not snake oil. It sounds weird. It sounds weird that you can look at a machine And you can change your brain by looking at a machine, looking at pictures on a machine. But friends, that is what happens. I'm being somewhat reductionistic about it. And you can change your ability to concentrate doing that. You can change your anxiety levels. You can actually improve the reactions that you're having to these various infectious diseases, brain injury, closed Mm -hmm. traumatic encephalopathy, where you can have all kinds of... uh, responses. And, and, and I think the hope is there. It's more than hope. It's the, the evidence is there. And so thank you again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Say hi to Maria for us, if you will, Roseanne. We really appreciate you coming on board. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. You have a great day, girl. You too. 
Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.